Um, I want to mention just a couple of like housekeeping announcement kind of things. I know Cyril mentioned them again, but, but sometimes if you say it twice, people might actually remember or hear it. Um, so in the foyer are these packets like this that look like this. They're on a table in the corner out there that you can grab. And they are starting today, May 1st, till June 5th, Sunday, June 5th, which is Pentecost Sunday. Um, for this season of time, uh, they're encouraging everyone who's a part of the Church of the Nazarene in North America, it doesn't matter if you're a member or not, um, to participate with us in prayer. And so there's daily devotions that you can use to go along with. And so you can take a packet out there. Um, you know, if you, if you can share with your spouse go, or someone else, great, but, but feel free to take one. If we need to order more, we can. Um, but those are out there and available for you. Uh, and if you're like, oh, I'd like a digital copy, I can send you the link to that as well. We can make that happen, and then you could read it on your Kindle or iPad or whatever. But also, tonight, beginning at 8 o'clock, if you are a guy who calls this church home, uh, there's a men's study that begins tonight at 8 o'clock, and we'd love to have you be there. I hope you'll join us um, to be a part of that tonight. And I know there's a women's group meeting later this week, and Sarah will tell you details later, because I don't, I don't know them. Um, I'm not a woman, so I don't pay that close attention. That sounds terrible, I know, but it's true. So I, I was thinking this week, what does it look like for us? Um, have you ever asked someone a question and you already knew the answer? I know, I know, none of you have done that, right? You would never ask a question that you already know the answer to make yourself look better. Okay, I know that's, that's a rhetorical question because most of us have done that. Or maybe, you know, have you ever, and maybe you're not this person, which I hope you're not, because all of us have a tendency, when someone tells a story... We then go, it's like the one up, I'm going to tell you a story too now. And then I tell you my story because you said your story, now I'm telling my story. I barely heard your story, but I got to tell you mine because it's better than yours. I know, none of us have done that either. But sometimes there are stories or things that happen in life that we wish we could go back and rewrite and do them over again, but we can't. There are times when we, we share a story, so I'm going to share a story that, that doesn't paint me in the best light. Um, but it's a true story. So it's probably been, I don't know, a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now. Um, there was a day of the week. I don't remember what day of the week. I want to say it was a Tuesday. Don't, don't know why it was a Tuesday, but I think it was a Tuesday. And I was leaving the church, and there was a guy who I know was homeless who was outside the church. And I know he was homeless because he had been there multiple mornings that week, sleeping on the church property. And I had offered to take him to the rescue mission multiple times. He kept telling me No. Uh, and so I said, okay. And then this day as I'm leaving, he asked me, would you take me uh, to someplace about, it's maybe a quarter mile down the road. And um, I said, no. I, I said, no, no, like I think you can walk there. It's okay. Uh, it wasn't super cold. Um, and I left. That's not the end of the story. You know, I had all these things running through my head because in the middle of that, I knew um, I was supposed to go see my grandparents in a couple weeks. They're pretty old. I knew um, we still didn't, it was actually the, the legitimate peak of COVID, not like the first two weeks where like there was nothing real in Michigan. And, and I didn't want to give it to them and I didn't want to ruin my trip and I didn't want to give it to my wife and kids because they were actually, actually I think they were out of school at the time. They didn't have school. I thought, I don't want to send this back to school. And, and so I just said no. Um, and I drove the six minutes home. It's between five and six minutes to get to my house. I drove home. I walked in the door, I looked at Katie, I told her the story, and I said, I gotta go. I turned around, I walked back out the door, and I went to look for this guy. And I spent 30 minutes in my car driving around the area. Where he said he was going, I followed the same route that he would have had to have taken. I went there, I drove back, multiple, I've been circling around neighborhoods. I never found him. 
See, here's the reality. There's no way I could go back and fix what I already said no to what I probably should have done the first time. The truth is, if I'm honest, it was just inconvenient. I had plans. I'd been gone all day. It was getting late. It was pitch black outside. It was probably 6.30. And I, like, you know, I'm not a woman who probably shouldn't take a guy in his car. I wasn't really worried about myself. It wasn't anything like that. I just thought, man, I don't have time for this. I don't want to get sick. I'm not doing this. So I didn't. And then I spent 30 minutes driving around town looking for this guy. I never found him. I came and stayed here other times after that, but it was too late to make it right. See, today's story, I feel like, is kind of like that. Um, most stories we read in the Bible, and maybe you don't do this, but I find most people do, uh, myself included, we read the stories of the Bible and we automatically put ourselves in the position of the hero. We just do. We read the story, we go, oh, those people, I can't believe they function that way. I would never do that. And today's story is no different. Most people hear this story and they put themselves in the place of the hero of the story. But I honestly think to hear the stories of Jesus from an honest perspective, rarely are we the hero of the story. And so today we're looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And see, parables are meant to tell us the deeper truths. Um, they can rarely be understood in one sitting. Typically, they're layered, and they make us think over time. And if you read it again, you'll, you'll think something differently the second time or the third time or the fourth time. Or if you're like me, I don't know how many times I've read this parable or heard this story. But it's definitely challenged me this week in unique ways again. And so here's how I would say parables are, are meant to help us open our eyes or to challenge us to see differently. It's the point of a parable change our perspective. In the parables of Jesus, his goal is to change our perspective so we begin to see the world from a kingdom point of view and not from a way that makes sense in the world around us because the kingdom of God doesn't make sense in the world around us, period. And that's what Jesus came to share. And so here's this parable from Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. Here's what Luke records. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, 
And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. We should probably begin with the first question that Jesus asked, because honestly, it's the wrong question. It might be the question we're asking, but it's the wrong question. He asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? And Jesus already is going to flip this on its head because the point isn't what you must do. It's actually the wrong complete question. The goal isn't to win eternal life. And Jesus is trying to make that abundantly clear. Because what the, what the lawyer is doing, right? We'll just, we'll just skip expert in law, lawyer. That's what he is. The lawyer is trying to go, hey, what can I do? What can I check off the list? What's the one-time action so that I can inherit eternal life, so I can acquire what it is I want. And here's the reality. Eternal life is not a commodity to be traded or an action to be taken off a checklist. It is a gift that is freely given. And then Jesus does what Jesus so often does. He asks a question. He doesn't answer the question he was asked. And I love this about Jesus because I think for most of us, if we learn to communicate in that way, if we ask more questions rather than giving more answers, I'm speaking to myself here, if we ask more questions rather than giving more answers, we would probably get people to the right answer more times than not. But when we give our opinion or we say this over that and we don't ask a question, we probably push people away more. So Jesus asks a question, which probably invites him into a conversation and we see what happens. He asks this question, he says, well, you know, what, what do the scriptures teach? And he says this, um, he answers correctly. His exact words are, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Great answer. In fact, it's such a good answer one of the things I love that what Jesus does is he takes so often what we find in the scriptures is he takes the Old Testament or they would have known as just the scriptures for them in Jesus' day. He takes the Old Testament and he says, um, you've read all these ways and you've read it this way, but you've kind of misunderstood the heart behind the text. And that's what he's saying to the lawyer. You know the right answer because you know the words, but you don't understand the heart behind the words. It's the right answer. Don't get me wrong, but we have to learn to read it in new ways. And so Jesus is trying to point out how we reread the scriptures in light of him, right? That's ultimately what we try to do. But, but he says to the man, he says, do that. So he actually answers this question now. What must I do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do that, and you will live. He doesn't say you'll have eternal life, but he says you will live. Like this is important. Jesus makes a distinction here. He has a lack of concern for eternity. I know for us, and especially American Christianity, that's a weird statement, right? Jesus' concern isn't that. His concern is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven to be on earth as it is in heaven for it to come here. That's his point. If you will live as my unique people, then it's just eternity becomes a byproduct of how you live. So quit worrying about checking something off the list or saying the right prayer, but live the right way. And so he tells the lawyer this, basically, here's the idea. The love of God and love of people has always been and always will be the heart of what it means to be God's people. 
It always has been and always will be the heart of what it means to be God's unique people. And what happens next is what happens with teenagers, right? Some of you have teenagers. Mine are not, my kids are not quite there yet, although they act like it some days. Um, they're not quite there yet, but, but teenagers, right? So if you'd say to a teenager, you cannot drive there, wherever there is, and then you find out later they went there, wherever there is, and their response to you is this. You said I couldn't drive there. You didn't say I couldn't ride there. Have you noticed this happens? I mean, grown adults do this too, but I'm picking on teenagers today, so sorry for those of you in the room. That excuse will no longer work with your parents. But here's the reality. We try that because it makes sense to us, right? You said, I'm going to say, you literally didn't say I couldn't go there. You said I couldn't drive there. You're like, well, you knew the point of what it is I was trying to say. And so the lawyer asks this question that's kind of like a teenager. He says this, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? You see, in the day of Jesus, the people have been asking this question. This is the question they actually asked. You can't read the Old Testament without seeing this call to love your neighbor as yourself, to love your neighbor as you love God. Like, it's all throughout the Old Testament. However, if I can redefine who my neighbor is, then who I love gets to look differently. Because you obviously don't mean the Romans, Jesus, who oppress us. You don't want me to love them, even though they live in town with us. You obviously don't want me to love the Samaritans because they twist the scriptures to fit their own ends. They don't read it the way they're supposed to, so you don't want me to love them. You obviously don't want me to love other nations because they're not God's chosen people, so you don't mean them as my neighbors. So you must mean the only people I'm called to love are the people like me. Who are born in the same place I am, who speak the same language I do, who believe like I do. In other words, if my neighbor can be whoever I want, right, the person who looks like me, talks like me, votes like me, acts like me, then loving my neighbor is pretty easy. But that isn't how Jesus begins to answer this question. See, the lawyer is really asking this, who doesn't deserve my love? Who can I ignore? Who can be my enemy? Now, it's less easier to love people that are just like us. But that's not what Jesus responds with. He tells a story. He says, there's this man, and he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on his journey, we don't know what happened. We don't know why he was on a dangerous road by himself. We don't know what he came from or what he did first. We don't have no idea about his past or his background. He could have been the worst person ever. We know nothing about him. We assume he's an Israelite, uh, a Jew of some kind. We don't really know. And he's beaten. We don't know if he owed them money. We don't, know. we don't know anything. He's beaten and robbed and left on the side of the road, and he's half dead. Then a Levite comes by, and a priest, right? And we know the truth is priests were often priests because their dads were priests. Levites were Levites because they're from the family of Levi. Right? That's how that worked in that day. They likely were people who were trying to be good followers of God. They likely cared about that stuff. We know they're coming from Jerusalem, not going to Jerusalem. We know they didn't stop to help when they should have. We know a Samaritan does stop and help. We know for the Samaritan, it cost him something. Two denarii, a denarii is one day's wages for a day laborer. So this guy paid the innkeeper two full days wages to take care of him. And then he says, if he needs more help, 
I will pay more when I come through. In other words, I will do whatever it takes to take care of this man. That's the story we know. That's the story Jesus tells. Two ordinary people who, even though they were like religious, they were part of the church of their day, they see this man and they don't stop. Right? Before we start throwing stones, the priests in the Levite failed to act when they should have. Haven't you or I? We knew the right thing to do, but we chose not to do it because, well, we just kept on walking. And I think these two men didn't stop for two particular reasons. Right? These, are, these are my best guess. In fact, I think it's pretty, pretty accurate, these reasons. In fact, I, I should probably say these are probably excuses more so than reasons. They didn't stop one. They were afraid. What if what happened to this man happens to us? What if there are more robbers hidden here? What if, like, this road was dangerous until about 80 years ago, right? Like, this is a pretty dangerous area in the Middle East. Like, you just don't go there by yourself. What if, what if, what if we get robbed? So we better just keep on walking. Or, the other reason, if we're honest, I think is this. It's just inconvenient. I've got somewhere to be. I'm heading this way. I've got a long walk ahead. I'm in a hurry. I don't have time for this. Right? For us, it's true, right? Most often, we don't respond because we're afraid or it messes up our schedule. Now, I could add a third reason, right? We just don't know enough about the guy's past, so I don't, I don't want to get involved in his life because I don't, I don't know enough. Those are the reasons. And then this Samaritan comes along. This guy comes along, and this would have been shocking to Jesus' hearers. I, I don't know that I can articulate this well enough for you, um, because they would have been thinking, because often we tell stories in threes, right? Three little pigs. We even do it in our own culture. Um, but they were thinking, okay, a Levite and a priest, and then they would have assumed that the third character of the story would have been an Israelite. And so when Jesus says the Samaritan, what he's basically saying to them is this, and we're not going to grasp it fully. Um, it'd be like saying the good terrorist, the good murderer. Say what? We don't like those people. They're not like us. They're ter- terrorists, Democrats or Republicans, they're state fans, whatever it is, right? We don't like those people, whoever they are. Pick whoever they are for you, and that's who Jesus is putting in this story. And here's the reality for us. This Samaritan isn't worried about the man's past. He's not worried about what brought him to the place of need. He's not worried about what it's going to cost him or his travel being interrupted. He isn't worried about those things. But he does model for us something of incredible importance, that loving our neighbor is a continual action. Loving our neighbor is a continual action. And in truth, it may matter more. Our motive may matter less than our actual action. Sometimes just because it's the right thing to do may be enough motive. So I was thinking, um, came across a quote this week as I was reading about this particular story from Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I thought it was a great quote. He was preaching on this same text. He shared these words. I'm going to tell you what my imagination tells me. 
it's possible these men were afraid. And so the first question that the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Then Jesus asked the lawyer another question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Right Here's the reality for us. Um, the lawyer in the story missed what Jesus was trying to say. Why? I mean, maybe he was too worried about trying to win an argument. He was too worried about justifying himself. He was too worried about you know, his own importance, whatever it might be. He wasn't willing to admit defeat in the conversation, if you will. How do I know this? Because when Jesus asked the question, who is a neighbor to this man? He doesn't respond the Samaritan. Because Jesus in particular used that line on purpose. What he responds with is the one who showed mercy. In other words, I'm not going to dignify your story with saying who you said it was in the story. I'm going to rewrite who I want it to be in the story. So N.T. Wright has a line on this particular passage. He says this, can you recognize the hated Samaritan as your neighbor? If you can't, you might be left for dead. I think we read these stories. Like I said, we, it's easy to, we can possibly be the man on the side of the road. That one we might do. But more often than not, we're the good Samaritan, right? Because we go, oh, those religious people of that day, they just, I can't believe them. And we do the same thing when we pass people on the street right now. When we know what we should do and we choose not to do it, we're the priest and we're the Levite. And Jesus makes it pretty clear to us that that's not being a good neighbor. And so um, Amy Jill Levine wrote a, or kind of a rewrote this parable for us in the 21st century. And so uh, she's written a book that we're, we're, we're using uh, for these studies on, on tonight and then this week for the women. But it's just kind of a template to look at these parables of Jesus. Here's the story she wrote. For a final sense of the profundity of the parable, we need only look from ancient text to present context. The parable of the Good Samaritan is one of the few that makes an almost perfect translation to today's situation. Samaria today has various names. The West Bank, Occupied Palestine, Greater Israel, To hear the parable today, we only need to update the identity of the figures. I am Israeli Jew on my way from Jerusalem to Jericho, and I'm attacked by thieves, beaten, stripped, robbed, and left half dead in a ditch. Two people who should have stopped to help pass me by. The first, a Jewish medic for Israel Defense Forces. The second, a member of the Israel-Palestine Mission Network of the Presbyterian Church USA. But the person who takes compassion on me and shows me mercy is a Palestinian Muslim whose sympathies lie with Hamas, a political party whose 
charter not only anticipates Israel's destruction, but also depicts Jews as subhuman demons responsible for all the world's problems. The parable of the good Hamas member might be difficult for people in support of Israel's existence. Where Jesus is Samaritan, we today have the parable of the good Jew told in the streets of Ramallah. If people in the Middle East could picture this, we might have a better vision for choosing life. Now, I know that's a tough example for us in some ways because it's half a world away. And so I started thinking about my own failure to do what I should have done with a homeless man. And why did I go pursue him? Well, in part, to ease my own guilt, let's be honest. But in part, I also want to tell him that God comes after us. Why? He comes after us when we're beaten on the side of the road. He comes after us when we know we should have done something and we choose not to do it. He comes after us even when we've done the right thing to sustain us. He heals us. He forgives us. He sustains us. I went after the man who was homeless because of this. I believe in a God who can change our hearts from hearts of stone to hearts of love. Who can change us from fearful to faithful. Who can make us go from apathetic to compassionate. Do you know that, Jesus, today? The one who comes to you on the road of your life, wherever you may be, and transforms you so that you no longer look like the person you used to be, who begins to change your heart and your mind so that your actions don't reflect the man or woman that you were before, but you become this radically new person. So that you can have not something you check off a list, but you can have God's gift of his love and his grace and his mercy to so change you And today, in just a few moments, we will take communion together for those who want to. A couple things about communion here. Um, Our table is open, meaning that anybody who wants to come is welcome. And by partaking of the table, what you are saying is that I believe Jesus is Lord. I need his grace and his forgiveness in my life and in my heart and in my mind. I need to be forgiven for when I have been the priest or the Levite, when I have not done the thing I should have done but I don't want to live into that way any longer. The table is open and anyone's welcome to come participate. We, we take by intention here where you take a piece of bread that's been, we, we don't make, let you rip it, we cut it for you, but, but you dip it in the cup and someone says to you, the body and the blood of Christ for you. It's why in the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. In the same way he took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And so we recognize that he invites us to do this again and again, to remember his mercy for us and his love that changes our hearts. And so today, everyone's welcome. And if you are not so sure about dipping a cup in the back, there's some prepackaged things as well. But here's why we come to the table. Because we believe in a God who binds our wounded hearts, who forgives our lack of compassion, who helps us overcome our fears so that fear is not what drives any of our decision-making. I believe most people, actually, there's a study, I wish I could find it, but but like 85% of people, almost every decision they make in life is out of fear. What might happen if we live from like faithfulness and love instead of fear? 
And we come to the table to remember that God invites us to come to this place so that we can be sent. So the story of the Samaritan becomes our story. So that we become the kind of people who look and sound and act like Jesus himself. So that when you see the homeless man sitting on the church steps asking for a ride, your response might be different than mine. So that you and I might be the gracious people of God. So that we too can be forgiven. We too can be renewed. We too can find that we live life, that we begin to love God and love our neighbor with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. So we look and sound like Christ's church. The reality for all of us today is that we're all desperately in need of the grace of God. Wherever we have been, wherever we find ourselves, that we need this God who comes to us to offer us his grace and his mercy. So this morning, will you pray with me again? Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. May we be the people who are defined by those things. May we be known by our faith and our hope and our love. May our compassion and our mercy be evident to others. May we see people in the world around us as you see them and not as others may. As we pray all these things in your Son, Jesus' name.